0: Good to see you, good to see the sunshine, oh, there's so many things good this morning. By the way, if you are a guest with us, this is your first Sunday of being with us, I hope you got one of these when you came in. If you didn't, then uh, see me, I'll be out uh, at the end of the service and and grab me and see I'd like to get one of those bags because I'd like like you to have one. One of the things I'll tell you, there's a number of things in there, but one of the things that really is important to us uh, that you leave behind, the rest you can take with you, is uh, this card, it's called a connection card. And uh, if you'll fill out your information on there, we uh, we would really appreciate it. If you'll turn that in to me or or leave it on your chair or just hand it to just about anybody, then what we do is uh, kind of in your name and honor of you is we will give the funds to purchase 50 pounds of food to Project Hunger just for you giving us back that information. And so you'll be uh, having ministry. One other thing that, that I would say to you as, as we begin is... Uh, out, out in the lobby area, you'll see a bunch of these all over on the different tables. This is just like a little devotional kind of a prep for Easter. Uh, this is for you just to grab and take home and, and uh, maybe uh, next week or so spend some time reading through that, just uh, thinking through the, the celebration that we're heading into. This is an important season for us. Now, some of you right now are saying, wait a minute, something is completely wrong here. We didn't do announcements yet, and he's so he's not supposed to be talking, and just really messing with your mind. I get that. The ones I'm really worried about are the ones that haven't noticed. So it's like, I didn't notice anything different, you know? But anyway, so uh, just so you know, we are switching it up. You, we will get to some announcements at the end this morning, but uh, we just kind of want to switch it up. So let's ask about a word of prayer, and we'll dig into the word together. Father, thank you for your love for us, for stepping into our world, and. Uh, for Being willing to take on humanity for the for humanity 's sake for taking on yourself uh, our our sins, the things that had separated us from uh, god and and you paying the penalty so that we could be given the gift of forgiveness. thank you for this very special season when we especially focus on that, and uh, Lord, I pray for this time this morning as we as we complete this discussion we 've been having uh, regarding this letter that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth as we walk through the things that he felt were important for them to know so that they would be a healthy church, uh, which means they're important for us to know too. And so as we draw this to a conclusion this morning, Lord, just I pray that you'll, you'll in each of our hearts, speak to us, help us to identify in the words that we're looking at what it is that we each one need to hear, and more than that, what we need to apply to our lives. And I just pray these things in your son's name. Amen. So, uh, we're, we've been working our way through First Corinthians, and just, uh, again, for, for you who like things to go se- uh, sequentially, I'm going to mess you up again, because last week we looked at chapter 13, which is uh, 13 where the chapter where Paul writes, and remember, the chapters were something that we did later, and as we translate scripture, Paul wrote this as a letter. It was a letter to the Christians in Corinth, and so it was laid out just like a letter, uh, but we've divided it up, which helps a little bit for us, makes it more convenient. So last week we looked at chapter 13, which was a, a description of God's perspective of, of what he, a uh, godly love, the kind of love that he expects us to have for each other, but not just for each other, really for anyone we come in contact with. Uh, uh, it's an unconditional love. It's It's a love that's not based, you know, it's so foreign, probably in, in a lot of respects to us, because... It really is not a love that's wrapped up in feelings or emotions or warm funsies or any of those things. It is a love that is wrapped up in obedience. It it is a love that does the right thing because it's the right thing, that responds to to other individuals uh, who may not even deserve our gracious response, but we do it because we know this is what our Heavenly Father wants us to do, and we want to please Him. And so, so, so we talked about that. He walked us through this. And, and we've been spending, we're, we're drawn to an end now, but we've spent quite a bit of time in this letter that Paul wrote to the Corinth church. And remember, as he wrote this letter, he wrote it to this church because it was very unhealthy. It was, it was a fighting church. They were at each other's throats. Just, just a very dysfunctional situation. And so he's been walking them through uh, uh, discussions on things that they needed to make part of their church, things that they needed to step back and and and, uh, and remake a part of who they were in the relationship with each other, so that they could be healthy. And, and so that's kind of been the subcontext of this whole series is being a healthy church. Uh, and, and so as he gets to chapter fourteen, which we're mostly going to skip past today. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to 1 Corinthians 15 is where we'll be going. I'll I'll briefly talk a little bit about chapter 14 uh, uh, or or on your devices, but as you get into chapter 14, which which I'm not going to spend the time on this morning, he kind of goes back to some things after discussing love and what what godly love looked like, the kind of love we're supposed to have for each other, the kind of love God has for us, which is so cool, a love that's kind and gracious and and forgiving and doesn't keep a record of wrong, it's impatient, and he walks through that whole series. Well, then he goes back into to their context, to their situation, and, uh, and he addresses a couple of things. He addresses, for one thing, things, he addresses the fact that, you know, he spent some time, uh, we looked at it a few weeks ago, talking about this thing called a spiritual gift that, that Paul made clear that every single follower of God, every person that who has accepted that gift of forgiveness has at least one spiritual gift, uh, we 're never told exactly how many, but he, he talked about that 's just something that comes naturally when you when you step into that relationship with God because of what Jesus did on the Son on the cross, uh, the Holy Spirit, God the Spirit comes and lives within you and and you 're gifted spiritually to do things that uh, may like we talked about are are beyond you. You're you know. They're just they're a God thing in your life. Well, what has happened in the in the church in Corinth is, and, and Paul addresses in chapter 14, is they've grabbed onto a couple of these gifts, especially one in particular, and they've kind of elevated it and, and they've made it what it shouldn't be. Remember Paul in, in in chapter twelve said it is God the Spirit that decides who gets what gifts. Well in the Corinth church, they had decided that uh, this particular gift, especially the gift of tongues, was the one that everybody should have. And if you didn't have it, then you really weren't that godly or you would have this gift. And, and Paul saying, that is so wrong. In fact, it's really interesting. You take something that God, that God has given as, as something to cause the church to be more healthy and, and strengthen the church. And he says, and you're taking this thing and beating each other with it. And it, it just shouldn't be happening. And so he talks about that. In fact, if you want to do a little of your own research, it's interesting as you walk down through that discussion early in chapter 14, you'll see he, he speaks of tongues. He uses the singular tongue and the plural tongues. And I actually believe that, and I'm not alone or right? I'd never, but, but he believed that, that when he speaks, when he uses the singular word tongues or tongue, he's actually talking about part of, of remember we talked about the the false religion, the, the worship of the goddess Aphrodite. Part of that worship was they would get into these drunken frenzies, and and I mean they were drunk. Uh, in fact, we talked a little bit. Some of us has splashed over into their their what they called their love feasts, and but they get in these drunken frenzies, and somewhere in the process they start speaking these languages, and and so when Paul uses the single word tongues, I think tongue, I think he's talking about the fact that some of that has moved into the church, but then he also uses the word. The plural word tongues, which is there's, is a spiritual gift that uh, uh, that we speak. We mentioned some, and, and it was one that was very effective in 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 the early church, and so he mentions that as well. And but he says in 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 either of these cases, the 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 uh, the uh, fake, uh, it's not the word I was looking for, or the or the one the spiritual gifts given. You're misusing them. You're actually using them to beat up on each other, and, and that's so ungodly. Then he also talks about the fact, we talk, and we've mentioned this too, that there, you know, there's this newfound freedom. And some of these people, they came from this, this, uh, this false worship that was just so ungodly and moral. immorality was a major part of it. And, and he says, and now you've come to Christ, and, and there's been this refreshing freedom that's come with that. And then some of them had come out of very, a very uh, uh, legalistic religious envir- environment, and, and as, they, as they, they grew up under the Pharisees, and all these rules, and you never really knew where you stood with God, because about the time you thought you were getting pretty good, the rules would change, or they'd add some more, and, and so these two environments came together and found out about Christ, and there was a freedom that came, a refreshing freedom, but what happens lots of times when we get new freedom is we tend to misuse our freedom. And that's happening in his church. And, and so those are the kinds of things he addresses in chapter 14. Uh, but one thing I want to, it's interesting, uh, he, he addresses these things for two reasons. Number one is how, how the believers in, in that church handled themselves concerning these kind of things. He says they're part of what determines their health as a church if they're going to be healthy in their relationships with each other, in their relationship with God. He says that's a major part of why we need to have these discussions. But it's interesting because he he keeps coming back to this too, because he says, but it's not just that. Paul, as we have seen, is, is very concerned about the part of the context of our world that doesn't know our Savior. He's always concerned about what we might call the unbelievers, he'll refer to them, or, or the unchurched, uh, we might refer to those individuals that, that don't have the context of that relationship, and that's always a concern to Paul. Remember, we, we looked at it a few weeks ago as he, he said concerning himself, he said, there's nothing that I do that in, in the context of those who don't know my Lord where I'm not trying to do it in a way that will draw them to God. And and he says and remember he said to the Jew I'll, I'll be like the Jew to the to the uh, Greek I'll be like the Greek uh, you know when I'm with the the those who feel like they're they're under the law I'll I'll go by the law for that period of time to it so that he ends up by so that by all means I might win some to my Lord he is so concerned about that and and the church needs to be concerned about that as well and 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 why I bring this up is it's really interesting in the context when I was going to Bible college. Uh, there was a, a, a perspective uh, that kind of went like this. What goes on in the church is about the Christians. It's about the church. And, and that's really what the church should concentrate on, is the church should, should be focused on helping believers grow in their relationship with God and in their relationship with each other. That's, that's our concentration. That should be what we're focused on. And that's true. But Paul's going to say, but that's not all of it. We, the understanding is, is we also need to concentrate always as on the unbelieving world. And it's interesting in, in today in this passage, in one verse I wanted to pull out of verse 14, is one of the things that he acknowledges and says that we need to acknowledge, and he's telling the Corinth Church of Corinth that he is you need to realize that you will have folks that are part of your worship time, when you come together that don't know the Lord. And, and you cannot ever get in a posture where, you know, it's just about us. It's what matters to us. It, he says, you always have to be thinking in terms of, what about those that are in our midst that don't yet know our Lord? And he says it this way. He says, but if a unbeliever or someone who does not understand comes in, he's talking about into the church, into their worship time, while everyone is prophesying, He will be convinced. Now, what he's done there, just the context, because I jumped past it, is this is where he's discussing this issue of tongues. And he says, you do these tongues, and people don't understand. And and especially, an unbeliever is going to walk in that context, and you're speaking this language, and he doesn't understand. He says, you're not any value to him at all. He said, at least when it comes to prophesying, when, when you're pr- sharing the revelation from God, then they come in and they're hearing this, they're saying, oh, okay, I understand that. And he said, you should, that should be important to you, the fact that unbelievers are in your midst and you should be thinking about them. And he says, so he comes in, while everyone's prophesying, he, conv- he will be convinced. He will be convinced and the secrets of his heart will be laid bare so that he will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, "God is really among you." So he's saying we should always be mindful of the fact that that in the context even of our worship times that it's not just about us. And, you know, let me let me uh, let me put this out here for all of us. You know, we, a lot of us, and I appreciate it. You know, we're with social media nowadays. There's just that opportunity to 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 be a light, to witness. And, and but I read I read a lot of what. We put out there as Christians, and I will tell you, I cringe a little bit. Not because you're saying something wrong, I'm, or me, and, I, and I've wrestled through this too. But lots of times we're using terminology that you understand the, the, the world that hasn't have the context that you may have been brought up in the church, they have no clue what you're talking about. you throw throwing a word out there, and they're looking at going, what? What, is, what does that mean? And so I would tell you, when I put, uh, when I write things... Uh, In the context of social media, I always look back and I say, okay, if if a person who doesn't know my Lord read this, would he understand what I'm talking about? Would he know that word? Or would he go, oh, man, what is that about? Because I don't want them to go, what is that about? And then come to the, the conclusion... I really can't even speak the language that those people speak. So there's really no reason for me to be in that context. And so, and when I do my messages, I want you to know that. My, and my, I have a lot of... My messages now go out. They're on blogs. You can go on Facebook. I have a lot of friends who do not know my Lord. When I'm thinking of the words I'm going to use, I'm on, I concentrate on using words that everyone will understand. And if I use a word that is maybe one of those words that's it's in the Bible... I'll I'll try to pause. You'll see me do this. I'll pause and explain what that word means. I don't assume. And and so that's what he's talking about. We can never, even as the church, even within the, the framework of our coming together to learn together the word of God and to grow, and even in that framework, we never lose track of the fact that there may be those among us that don't yet know our Lord. And they're watching. They're watching how we act, they're watching how we love each other, how we talk about each other. They're watching how we talk about God. They're listening to the word of God. Is it going to address, hit them this way? Are they going to hear that and say, wow, God knows my heart. I never knew something like that was in the Bible. It is. And, and, and maybe as a result, they're going to say, oh, God's among this, these people. See, that's what, we're, that's what our heart is. And we should never get into a point as a church family. That's why one of our phrases that we came up early, and it's on my business card that I pass out if I'm inviting people to church or if I'm at a restaurant and I want to leave behind, it It says, we have that statement that says that True North, we're a church with a heart heart for the unchurched. We never lose track of that because, well, we'll talk about why in a moment, but that's such an important thing from God's heart. So, let's move on to chapter 15. Paul gets into this. He says, "Now, brothers, and remember, we're drawing this all to conclusion. He's coming to the end of those letters. Now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel. Now, again, here's one of those words. We we, we use the, that word, and it's like, oh yeah, we know what that means. But if you weren't brought up in this context of of maybe church and 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 studying the word, you may not know that that word actually means good news, brothers. I want to remind you of the good news. I brought you some good news. Now." Paul's going back because he was visiting these people in Corinth. In fact, he went into the city of Corinth uh, three years before he wrote this letter. Back in AD 52, we know when it took place. In AD 52, he went and started talking to people, sharing the good news about Jesus Christ. And and he's going to dig into all that in a moment, so we won't spend the time yet. But he says, remember, I came and I told you the good news. And a lot of them responded, and that's how this church got going. That I preached to you, past tense three years prior, which you have received and in which you have taken your stand. When I came and I shared that good news, it made sense to you. And it brought that freedom that we've talked about. And for the first time in your life, you understood that, that God wasn't this God with this list and this hammer that was constantly watching you and ready to bring the hammer down. That he, in fact, was a God of grace and forgiveness and love and wanted a relationship with you, but he did everything necessary. He stepped to you. You didn't have to step to him. And he said, that was the good news, and you received it, and, and you stood on that. He goes on. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. Remember uh, when we looked at uh, love last week, he he's talked about, he says, this is the most excellent way. He's grab onto this because this is the most excellent way. This is, he says, this is the way I want my children to live life by this excellent way called love. But when he gets to today's subject, he says, "But this is of first importance. Nothing is more important than what we're about to talk to." This is, you know, I I, uh, I was involved a while back counseling a wife, and she isn't a part of our church body, and just one of those walk-in situations, and. And she's saying she's in a conflict with her husband, and she said his problem was, she says, he gets, he's frustrated. He tells me that he thinks that the children are first and I'm second. And, and, uh, and she said, and the reality is the children are first. And I said, whoa, 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 hold it, hold it. Look. Let's take a step back. I said, number one, I don't think we should ever talk in this context of family relationships as first and second. They're all priorities. They're just, you know, the reality is we, you know, they all get our attention. And when we start numbering them, We start saying, well, you're second in importance. And I said, you can't do that in this kind of realm. But Paul says when it comes to this issue, this is of first importance. What is it? Well, here's what it is. That Christ died for our sins. According to the scripture, Scripture prophesied. Way back in the Old Testament, when they would take that lamb in the in the in the Jewish religion and they would sacrifice that lamb, it would remind them that blood was going to have to be shed, that something that when sin happens, death is the penalty of sin. And Christ became the lamb that suffered on our behalf. He gave his life. Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures. And then he was buried. Now, you know, sometimes we will say, you know, Christianity, when did Christianity begin? Christianity, by the way, means Christ follower. When did Christianity begin? Some will say, when Christ came onto the earth when he first started walking the earth. Well, no, that's not when it began. Or we'll say, when he died on the cross. No, you know, in reality, when Christ died on the cross and was buried, there were no believers, Because fully, everyone, when he died on that cross, everyone who witnessed that, believed this. When dead people die, we expect them to what? Stay dead. And that's what they thought. Remember those ladies that came that first Easter morning we're going to celebrate in a few weeks, and, and they came to the grave? They weren't going to the grave thinking, all right, we're going to get to visit with him. We've been waiting three days, it's time. No, they were bringing spices because they knew men had, had done the burial thing and they thought those men always get it wrong. And so we're going to go and do it right now. But, but they weren't expecting to see a living Savior. They expected to see a body because dead people stay dead. The, the, the disciples that were fishermen went back to fishing. No one expected. They thought it was over. It was done. We thought maybe, but no. Dead people stay dead. I, one of the, the phrases that Andy Stanley uses a lot that I appreciate, you'll probably hear it again in a couple of weeks. He says, nobody expected to see nobody, nobody. They didn't. He was buried, and on the third day he was raised, according to the scriptures. That's what it's about. That's what means something. If he stayed in the grave, he just was a martyr. You know, maybe this historical figure, we appreciate the things he said, look at his words, because he had some, some good words to, li- to listen to, but, but he's dead. He's dead. But that's not the case. But here's the reality, and it's today, but it was even back in the If you remember the context of the situation, when when Christ died on the cross, if you remember right after that, as soon as they stuck him in the grave, the Pharisees, those religious leaders, they went to Pilate, and they said, all right, we need some help here, because back in the day when he was walking around and talking, and he kept talking about this on the third day thing. And uh, it's not that, you know, we don't think he was God- We'll talk about that in a few weeks, whether that's true. But we don't, we don't believe all that stuff, but we're afraid that maybe his disciples will steal his body, and then they'll go around telling everybody he raised from the dead, and so we need your help, Pilate. Give us, seal the grave, put the stone on the grave, seal it with your insignia, and give us a guard. Give us some soldiers to guard the tomb to make sure that that doesn't happen, because that'd be worse. And so Pilate says, go ahead, you well, you have your guard. We'll do that, and you know what happened. <laughs> like, like that's going to keep God from raising from the dead, and, and and so, but so, but if you remember, even though that didn't work, remember that when when Jesus rose from the dead, the stone got rolled away. The the ladies got there thinking they're going to have to find somebody to roll the stone for them, and sorry back. And they go in and they find there's an empty grave, not what they expected at all. But they found there was an empty grave. But you remember those soldiers who who were frightened by the whole scene, they, they ran, not to Pilate, because that would have been death for them, to fail in their responsibility meant that they would be put to death, and they had failed, the, the, the body was gone, they had failed, and so they ran to the Pharisees, and they said, you got to help us out here, because the body's gone, and uh, Pilate finds out we're, we're dead, we're done for, and so they said, okay, we'll make a deal with you, if you remember. This is loose translation. Here's the deal. We're going to give you some money if you spread the rumor that some disciples came and overpowered you and stole the body. And we'll take care of Pilate for you. And that's exactly what took place. So so already in that day, already there were people saying, he didn't really raise from the dead. That's just a story. Don't believe it. And Paul knows that, and so he's addressing that. He says he he was buried and he raised on the third day according to the scriptures. But he says, let's talk about that. And he appeared to Peter. Now, Paul's going to walk into some eyewitnesses to the resurrected Jesus Christ. And he brings up Peter first. Now, if you know the chronology at all, Peter was not the first one that saw the resurrected Jesus. But Peter was of importance to Paul because Paul, in his own testimony... Paul actually, remember, Paul was not one of the original disciples. He didn't walk and talk with Jesus during his ministry. He wasn't a follower, and after Jesus died, he he opposed those Christians. In fact, for five years, he did everything he could to go out and gather Christians and and displace them from their homes. He he helped murder a number of them. He was going to stamp out this thing called Christianity, and, and he had the power of the church at that time, the Pharisees, to do it. He had the authority. And so he went all over the world. And you know, that's for five years. So a lot of us don't realize that. We're thinking, well, it was probably a few months. And, you know, then Paul gets converted. He comes to, to Christ. And, and uh, no, it's five years. And in that context, let me put in context for us the, the World War II lasted six years. So you can imagine, and obviously World War II was in a bigger context, but you can imagine for five years, people who were followers of Christ lived in fear of this man because he was out to get them whatever way, whatever it took, and he had the authority to do so. And so then five years after the crucifixion of Christ, Paul has that conversation with the risen Jesus on the road to Damascus. And then he tells, and he writes to the Galatian church that he said after, three years after that took place, he said, then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem and he sought out Peter. He, now, I asked myself the question, why Peter? Because he's going to tell us that he didn't see any of the other disciples, but he sought out Peter. And I thought, why Peter? Well, here's my, my reasoning. I don't know if it's the reason, but you know. Who might have a little inkling of an understanding of what it feels like to be the betrayer? To be the person that stands in opposition to his Savior? I think he sought out Peter because Peter's the one who said three times, I don't know this guy. Never knew him. Never was his follower. He got, got it all wrong. Even a little girl. Couldn't even stand up to a little girl and say, yeah, he's, he's my, I was a follower. No, I, I don't know anything about him. And so I, in my own mind, I'm thinking, Paul is looking for somebody that might identify. I mean, he was five years of walking down this path that was in opposition to Christ. But, but maybe Peter would understand a little bit of that. And, and then it's interesting to me because he says, I, I got to get acquainted with Peter. Uh, I stayed with him for 15 days. Fifteen days, and and then I saw none of the other apostles. Only James, the Lord's brother, and I'm thinking, here's just again, this is me. I can see Peter and Paul, and they're talking, and Peter's talking, and Paul, Peter's r- r- uh, uh, sharing his his own restoration at, at when Jesus came to him after the, after he had risen from the dead and, and and walked through that Peter, do you love me thing, and 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 restored Peter said, Peter feed my sheep. I'm going to use you in a mighty way. And, and so he's sharing all this with Paul and, and sharing how the, this is how Jesus is. He is the, he is the, the, the Jesus who gives second chances and who's always ready when we come back. And then I can see Peter going, well, wait a minute, you know what you, you know who you need to meet? You need to meet James because James wasn't just, in fact, James was Jesus' brother. He grew up in the same house. He didn't believe in Jesus. He, 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 in fact, one time he and his brothers came to G, when Jesus was ministering and they tried to, to confiscate him and take him away because they thought, this guy's mentally ill. You can't believe it. And he said he didn't believe Jesus at all until he saw the resurrected Jesus. So you need to talk to James because James will tell you Jesus is the one he gives second chances. So he had a conversation with James and so Paul's reflecting on that. He's saying, you know, I got to tell you, I, 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 saw, I saw the resurrected Jesus myself, but it was in a not, a, he's going to say it in a moment, in kind of an unusual way. And, and so I needed some verification. So I went to talk to Peter, and Peter said, yeah, he's alive. I saw him alive. And, and, and that was with, all this has taken place just within a few years. In fact, as he goes on, look what he says. He appeared to Peter and, and then to the twelve. And after that, Jesus, we're talking about here, appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time. In fact, most of them are still living. So, so Paul's saying, you folks out there are saying, well, I don't know about the resurrection. He's saying, we, we, have, we have people you can go talk to. They saw Jesus alive. This is a big deal. And, and, and check it out, because most of them are still living today. Because he's alive. Though some have fallen asleep. I love that. I want to pause here for a moment because that's so cool. You know, most of the time in the New Testament, when they refer to a a friend, a family member, a loved one, who had been in that relationship with Jesus, that had died, they use the terminology fall asleep. Because when people go to sleep, what do we expect them to do? Wake up. When you have that relationship. Death's no big deal. I'm not saying we look forward to it. Although I would tell you, the older I get, the more I do. But it's no big deal because it's just waking up in the presence of God. A better thing could happen. That's that relationship. That's what that resurrected Savior does for you. Though have fallen asleep. And then he appeared to James. We already talked about James, the brother of Jesus, and then all, to the, all the apostles at various times. This is up over a period of time. About 50 days, he's hanging around, and he's, and he's meeting with people. After they saw him hanging on a cross, now they're talking with him and eating with him, and, and, and he's sharing with them what's next and, and, and all that. That's when Christianity started because people met the resurrected Savior. They said, all right, that's worth giving your life for your life too and then last he appeared to me <laughs> as one abnormally born he says i i i i opposed jesus i opposed christianity for 5 years i was trying to stamp it out until the resurrected jesus stepped into my world and suddenly i realized he's alive he's alive See this. This is the uh, first of importance. This is what you and I stand on. In fact, he goes on. He says, "But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then even Christ has not been raised. Has then not even Christ has been raised from the dead?" And if Christ hasn't been raised from the dead, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. This is what it stands on, folks. If you're not a follower of Christ, if you have not accepted his offer of forgiveness, you've got to come to terms with this. You can either say, I don't believe it, I don't care what the proof is, and, and I don't care historical, and there's plenty of historical proof. I just don't buy this stuff. That's the turning point. Either believe he rose from the dead, which means he paid for your sins and my sins, and then showing the power to overcome the sins of the world, and the biggest the biggest part of the impact sin had on us, which is death, he rose from the dead and he says, that I'm gonna do the same for every one of you that becomes my follower. Death will not be the end of your story, it's gonna be the beginning of your story but you're going to have to make the decision. You've got to decide what you believe about that. If you've already decided, here's what he's got to say to you. Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. He, he says in another spot that it's this, the same power that rose Jesus from the dead that is the power that he makes available to you as his follower every single day. Whatever it is you're facing, you got it. Not because you're strong enough, but he is, and he's using that power to care for you, to wash over you, to help you with your battles. That power will sometime someday cause you to have a new body. Let let nothing move you. Always, and here's the response, and always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. He says, okay, and remember early on we talked about this. Paul says, you know, I talked about the fact that, you know, why, why are we still here? This whole book he wrote was to help the Corinth church to get, become healthy. God wants you and I to be healthy in our relationship with him and our relationship with each other. But here's the reality remember? If he, when will you and I, as his followers, be the most healthy? When I stand before him, when I go to heaven. <laughs> Finally, I'll be healthy. All these things that plague me, my sin nature, this, this strange way that my mind works, even my physical body, it's all going to be taken care of. It will all be healthy. So if that was Jesus' biggest concern, if that was God's biggest concern, if that was Paul's biggest concern writing this letter, if that's really what God wanted, when you become his follower, why, he would just take you to heaven. Because then you will be healthy and it won't be a battle anymore. But he's left you and I here for a reason to work on his behalf, to shine the light, to spread the love, to tell others that you serve a risen Savior. And the power that rose from the dead is available to them if they'll just accept his gift, this offer of this restored relationship that, that he wants to have them share that he wants them in his family, and and so we're here for that reason. We want to be healthy as a church, but why? So we can reach out to the world, so that our labor, in fact, our labor for the Lord is never in vain. So we move into this special season. You're going to be rubbing shoulders with folks later this week, later this day, that do not know your Lord. Give yourself fully to the work of the Lord. Remember, you're here to represent him. Make sure you're doing it well. Make sure, I want to make sure I'm doing it well because I want people to know my God and to love him. Father, thank you for this reminder of why we're here. Thank you for this opportunity to spend time in this letter that, written to a church which, Lord, we, we can relate to. We don't, we don't always get it right. Sometimes we make unhealthy decisions. We fight about things that we shouldn't fight about. They're just really not important when it comes to the bigger scheme of things. Sometimes we fear things we shouldn't fear. We forget that we serve a risen Savior, and that power that rose Him from the dead is the power that You've promised to use to care for us. And So why am I worried about that? Lord, there might be folks here that man, they need—they would need to have a conversation with Paul because they've convinced themselves that the things that they've done in their life are so opposed to you that there's no hope for them. And and Paul would say, yeah, you, you have no clue. You're exactly the person that God has a heart for that wants to have a relationship with. And, and so, Lord, if there's someone like here, that in this room this morning, Lord, I hope they hear your heart for them, that you love them, that you're offering them a gift of forgiveness. And in fact, you want to adopt them into your family as, as your child. You want to spend forever with them. That's why your son came. And for us that are in that relationship, don't ever let us forget, you've left us here for a reason. So, whether it's working our job, or talking to the person waiting us at, at us, on us at the restaurant, or that's in the cash register, whatever, wherever we are, whatever situation we find ourselves in, anyone we come in contact with, you've set that up as a divine appointment so that we can point the way to you, Lord, and don't let us forget that. Thank you for this letter and the impact it's had on us. Thank you for your love for us. We pray these things in your son's name.